In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We have had some lovely Sundays together. Over these last few lazy summer Sundays, with one wonderful gospel reading after another, several of the all-time favorites, the Good Samaritan, Mary and Martha, and our Lord teaching us the Lord's Prayer, a succession of some of the best, most beloved gospel readings of the year. Well, that vacation ends today. (laughs) The fun is over. Nasty lessons, nasty preacher, double whammy. These are difficult lessons we hear today, seeming perhaps even a little harsh. Jesus speaks a bit coldly to that young man and gives him and us a stern warning, all while we may still be reeling from that first lesson from Ecclesiastes, declaring that it's all pointless, it's all vain. But As the old cliché warns us, first impressions can be deceiving, and so it may be today. Jesus' comments this morning are not a chilling look at the final disposition of the greedy. That's the point of Lazarus and the rich man, where destitute, homeless Lazarus ends up in the arms of Abraham for eternity and the rich man is howling and scratching in hell, hoping that a crumb or a drop of cool water might fall from the table of the now well-fed Lazarus. I love that parable, always assuming, as I always do, that I am the finally vindicated Lazarus, feasting away, doing my best to tell jokes to the blessed souls at rest, trying to charm the angels who are gazing at me with their folded wings and their pursed lips. But heaven won't be nearly as much fun unless I can also picture Bernie Madoff in hell, (laughs) hoping I might toss him a dollar. Have to be one of those dollar coins, though, so it doesn't burn up on the way down. But that's a different story, different channel, different night of the week. That's lurking around somewhere in late September. You'll want to get your reservations in early. Today, here now in this gospel, Jesus is not saying that unless we choose him first, above all, we will suffer miserably and forever. He is saying very directly simply, even kind of gently, that which we ourselves already know to be true. Choose what is really genuinely valuable, really worthwhile in life. Spend your time and your resources on things that matter. Spend your time and your resources and your generosity on things that will make a difference, a devout difference, in your life 
and the lives of those around you, and possibly the lives of those whom you will never meet. All secular wisdom really has caught up with Jesus' 2,000-year-old warning. We hear from all sources to beware and avoid that sadness of working so hard for great success that we miss our kids growing up, or we don't pay the sort of eager attention to our partner or friend that we really intended to before we got so distracted. We miss out on all the good and wonderful and ultimately more rewarding, more abundant things in our lives. And we miss that joy of a deep abiding contentment that we feel when we know we have been generous with open-hearted giving and as a result feel quietly, modestly, but rightfully good about ourselves. Instead, in our haste to succeed and get it all right and profitable, we ourselves wonder probably before we ever heard Jesus' warning, if it really is all worth it. We wonder and worry, is my life as worthwhile as it could and should be? Am I pursuing what I really want, what I really enjoy, and that brings me and those I love genuine happiness, real riches, regardless of my bank account, abundant life, Have I reached out in love and philanthropy, concern and caring and generosity to others around me? Our Lord is not here in this passage demanding that we all accept utter self-denial, giving it all away. There is that spot in Scripture where Jesus does say to sell everything and give it all away. Give it to the poor, and then follow him, dedicated and destitute. That's next Sunday. And I ain't preaching next Sunday. Thank God and thank Father Mark. Jesus does ask that of some of us, as he did ask that of St. Francis or Mother Teresa. But he doesn't ask that of all of us at that level. And he never asks anyone to submit grudgingly to some odd idea that real contentment, real satisfaction, real devotion only comes from some furious self-denial and staggering self-sacrifice and self-abnegation. Jesus is not here in this gospel calling, insisting, that we assent to constant and unending service to others, totally, completely ignoring self. He asks all of us, Francis, Teresa, Bill, you, for an open-hearted, generous response, asks us to be magnanimous with our gifts and our assets, our time and our finances. We are not to appeal to him to be a divider and adjudicator, a clever financial manipulator to see how much we can retain or acquire or inherit or safeguard or, let's face it, hoard. Nasty word, hoard, has a nasty sound to it and possibly for good reason. 
Now, I have no greater insight here than the obvious one you really don't need to hear, because you already know it. Keep all things in perspective. This is a question of priorities, choosing wisely and well among the things you enjoy and not getting caught up in the pursuit of pleasure before all else. Ecclesiastes has a great personal insight here that is heartfelt and searingly honest. He himself has chosen that route. Seek pleasure above all and damn the distractions. Ecclesiastes does not condemn that choice out of short-sighted and terrible envy, a kind of mean-minded jealousy, because he has done it all himself and done it magnificently. He's acquired it all, won all the toys, and he's sadly found, and even more poignantly notes, that in the end he found it was all vain. The trappings, the incidentals, the side issues, the less important, the inconsequential, the worthless, seemingly of great value, was all just a vanity and a chasing after wind. Jesus is not criticizing the young man for showing understandable concern about his rightful legal inheritance. But think of it. This young man is face to face with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. What would you do? What would I do? with such a chance, such a gift, such an opportunity, a one-on-one moment with the Messiah. The young man decides to use that miraculous moment of grace to ask Jesus to get involved in a greedy family squabble and on the young man's behalf. Jesus says, Do not engage me as the arbitrator or enforcer of your selfish desires. You are in the presence of salvation, and you are wasting a very precious moment. You are wasting your time. He might have added, as he certainly implied, you're not only wasting your time, young man, you're wasting mine. There is, as there should be, a note of disappointed impatience in Jesus' reply, to that petitioning young man. But even here in this passage, Jesus does not say or even imply, woe to you. He says simply, and I think sweetly, oh friend, take care. Be on your guard. A person's life, her happiness, her sense of meaning does not consist in her possessions. Why would you think I should serve as the adjudicator of your inheritance from your parents? Divvying up that modest gift when you're on the edge of real treasure that will abide, endure, last forever? Be less concerned with a meager inheritance or some advantage in this legal life. Be far less concerned with that and be concerned, which the young man seems not to be, Be concerned with the inheritance that really counts, the things we all really need and that will bring us real happiness, the real riches, the abundance of life. 
instead of blustering or even quietly musing and fantasizing about what we should inherit, we might well think and pray and reflect on what we might provide, what we might offer, pledge, promise, and then, of course, deliver. Not quite the right thing to get Jesus involved in what I might get. Very much the right idea to get Jesus involved in what I might give, offer, share, commit. God said to that builder of the bigger, better barns, Oh, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasure for themselves and are not rich toward God. An inheritance worth having is the inheritance of the abundant life, a life that is rich toward God, that is lived out laboring for the goals worth pursuing, for ways to spend rather than waste our time, our effort, our inheritance, to waste the moment, the chance we have to be with Christ and to ask his help and support in the things that really matter, and in turn, to offer our help and support, our donations and gifts and our assets, to help him help others on our behalf. That, and only that, is what counts in this life, what ultimately matters. The rest, wisely, sadly notes Ecclesiastes, is just vain and a chasing after wind. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank <laughs> you.